0: You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful, so it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes.
1: There was something in me that was really wanting to kind of get out and express myself and do... Wild plugins.
0: That's mastering engineer Noam Levenberg, the man behind Safari Pedals. Safari Pedals has become one of the most talked about plugin companies around. Their unique guitar pedal inspired interface has brought the fun of wildly spinning knobs right into our DAWs. In this episode, Noam shares his process for taking a plugin from idea to final release. What I, I like doing is starting from the end and not from the beginning. And what I mean by that is why he chose to echo a modern music release schedule by dropping a new plugin every month. It matches today's kind of
1: pace and it's 100% inspired by artists and musicians that i
0: respect the importance of creating something that draws a reaction from the user or listener it gives you some sort of
1: reaction like you like it you don't like it the first few seconds for most people i think would probably lead to either buying it or not
0: and why he chose to walk away from a salaried audio gig to start safari pedals
1: and i had to trust my gut feeling and uh just do what i love which is something that a lot of times is like the opposite of what everybody's telling you to do.
0: This is a fun one. We hit it all from plugins to commercial studios and the current state of audio knowledge on the internet. So stick around for my interview with Noam Levenberg. <laughs> there are so many great Boutique plugin companies like Safari popping up these days. Most of them are started by mm. talented engineers and mixers that are kind of probably still like midway through their career. Right. We're not talking about people with like 40 years of experience experience. We're talking about like 10 or 15. They're just they're like they're in it right now. And I just see so many people loving these small plugins. And I'm not seeing as much love for the legacy brands that we all grew up with. Is it like a new, do you feel like there's like new blood in this industry? Like, is it a revolution of plugins right now? Like what's, why Why has everybody got a cool plugin company now?
1: It's a really interesting topic to talk about. And it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time now. A bunch of things led to this situation, in my opinion. And I think it's a really good change in the industry. I think that the biggest thing that led to this new rise of a lot of small companies is the fact that technology wise plugins are way easier to program than ever before because of uh, juice framework which is a framework made for audio processing which is based on c which is what everything is written on in terms of plugins and stuff and it, it's just way easier to create plugins these days And that combined with the fact that the the whole creator economy and people now have more access to tools that we didn't have early on. So I think when I look back to my early career, when the computer kind of came into the studio, I mean, yes, you had some plugins. You had like the Q10 from Waves. I remember that being like shocking. (laughs) Yeah, I remember being shocked by having 10 bands being like, what can I do with 10 bands? That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I also remember like having a lot of issues with the computer and like bugging out about space and stuff. And that was like a really expensive, I don't know, like G4. I think it was a G4 computer. Yeah. That was worth a a couple of uh, thousand bucks. I couldn't imagine having a laptop and just running, you know, Pro Tools on a laptop or anything even remotely similar to that. And I think that today people have much better access to technology tools and uh, cheaper in terms of, you know, hardware, which leads them to have more space in their budget to get creative with, with plugins and auto, other like cool tools. You know what I mean?
0: It's totally true. The, you know, the cost ratio between buying hardware gear and plugins is like obviously massive, Yeah, especially when you talk about using you know, UAD, for example, like I can have a fair child on every channel for 300 bucks or whatever they want to charge for it. So yeah, no, that, that is, that is true. Do you think that there's, like, I think about like early audio development. Most of the big breakthroughs I think were, they were done with or by users. Think about like Les Paul or like George Massenberg, mm. you know, just game changing devices. And then you've got people that come in like Rupert Neve, really just electronics and technical side. Do you think you need to be an end user to kind of have the aha moment? And then you got to bring in like the brains to expand on it?
1: I think that's a good question. And, and it's not a yes and no answer because there are people from both camps. I mean, my camp is obviously the the end user camp. Yeah. So I don't have a background in uh, in programming or or anything similar to that, and I feel like there still is some sort of like gap between the two. So when I want to build a, a product or a plugin, I kind of need to go through a bunch of loops <laughs> in order to even explain myself right. to a programmer to say like what I'm looking for and what i want it to sound like and the other side doesn't always fully get what we're talking about because we might be technical as engineers but not as technical as uh, developers right. so when you say something has a character or something has like a, even like oh I, I want it to saturate okay what is a saturator you know obviously that means distortion but then there's like a million different ways to make something distort and then you know it's a long journey yeah, And I feel like the best kind of, uh, goal is to, to get to a point where either there's two people and they're having a conversation. And what I mean by that is like an end user and then a programmer and they can kind of, you know, create something together. <laughs> or there's these like type of super humans that, uh, I, I've met a few that can just do everything and, uh. That's just like an, a next level thing. It's kind of like when there's like a producer who can play all the instruments and mix. Right. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that guy, like, that's insane. Yeah. So that, there's like an equivalent in the plugin word, like somebody like Eyal Amir, for example, who's like a, a friend of mine who, who has a company called Modalix. So he's like amazing piano player, but then also an amazing Programmer and an engineer, and like a bunch of other things. So
0: that's amazing.
1: He has it all, I guess.
0: What's the process of, you know, determining whether a plugin is working for you? Like, is it, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to obviously you're going through different versions. You're probably using it in your own work, maybe sharing it with some friends. Take one of your plugins that's out, maybe like Gorilla Drive, right? Yeah. What was the process like getting that to market from the audio standpoint? Like how many iterations of the plugin did you go through?
1: I think I'm still learning the process, (laughs) to be honest, and I'm trying to improve it. Yeah. In general, I will say that I did get to a point right now that I I feel like is kind of a sweet spot in terms of of the way um, it works. And basically what what I I like doing is starting from the end (laughs) and not from the beginning. And what I mean by that is I'll usually sketch out the GUI myself before having anything. Okay. So I'll just like paint a picture and try and kind of decide where I want the knobs and what I want them to look like and um, kind of match whatever I have in my head to a picture. And I think that really helps my process because once you do that, you realize like, Oh, there's not enough space for like a blend knob. Maybe I should make, you know, the knob's smaller, but then I want want it to look a certain way. Dah, 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 dah. Yeah. And by the end of it, you kind of have like a visual representation of something that you want. And what I like doing after that is I actually show it around. I showed it around to like a bunch of people and try to explain them what I want it to do. Yeah. And I look at people's faces when I do it and like just friends, you know, and, and uh, other engineers and stuff. And I, I want to see they understand, you know, the concept of the plugin before it even lands on a actual audio file. Right. So that's kind of the beginning. And I will say that, like, the Gorilla Drive was the first one I did, and I didn't do that on the first one. And uh, I kind of learned as I went along. But some of them did have some major changes done to them following you know what people said because a lot of times like you have something in your head you're like oh yeah of course this tone knob is going to react this way but then when you ask somebody else he's like what does a tone knob do and you're like oh mm. (laughs) Uh, yeah it doesn't say so maybe i should label it some way so a good example for that is like i'm going to release next month i don't know when people are going to listen to this but in uh late october early november there's going to be a compressor coming out and i have a, a knob there called speed and um it's like it's a long thing but i won't get into it right now but the whole idea is to link the attack and release in certain ways that fit the ratio of uh, the compressor that's which cool i uh, really yeah it's 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 a really fun compressor to play around with that's fun but um when i showed it around to friends they didn't really get it they were like what do you mean speed like Where is this going? So what I did was I kind of drew like this thing where you can see like slow and fast and it kind of represents it in a visual way. Those kind of things really helped me. Nice. But Then after that, what I usually do in terms of um, developing the plugin is I'll take that GUI and then I'll show it to uh, the developer that I'm working with, which is usually a guy called David who's a super talented programmer. He's a freelancer, basically. And we'll go through the features and stuff. And something that David, you know, is a genius because of uh, <laughs> of this thing is um, instead of me explaining to him what I want, I basically have sort of like a back office of sorts of plugins. So I have like a library of compressors and EQs and a bunch of other things that I can make it sound any way I want on my end. It looks terrible. Like the GUI <laughs> is very non-user uh, friendly. It kind of looks like a mix of, I don't know, like a bunch of stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a tool. It's a tool. And, and I can basically do whatever I want with, with that. And then I can kind of send it the vids way with the GUI. And he, he takes the two and makes it one. That's awesome. That's like a very long answer <laughs> to your question. <laughs>
0: you know, you you said speed and talking about that compressor plugin and uh, yeah. I immediately thought to myself, I bet that's controlling attack and release at the same time in some kind of like mm. musical context, yeah. which kind of made me think about the idea of like, you're making sonic choices based on your taste and your musicality. So like, what you choose to do with like an EQ curve could be musical to you and not to me in the same way that like some people prefer this EQ over that EQ in the analog realm. Do you think your experience as a master engineer working in like a bunch of different styles kind of has developed your taste in a manner where you might, you might have a musical taste for your choices that maybe Fits the broad range of years out there. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird question.
1: Yes and no. I mean, yes, 100% yes. I feel like the subject you're touching on, I think, is the change that we're seeing in terms of like the small companies and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, if you look to the early days of plugins, it, it was mainly kind of a, a utilitarian device or like a, a very technical device where like you have. If you take like an EQ, for example, you have like a frequency, a cue, and, and a gain knob. And that EQ either is trying to sound as transparent as possible, which a lot of the early digital plugins tried to achieve, or it has a sound, but the sound is usually kind of modeled after one particular, you know, outboard EQ that everybody wants, like a Pultec or like an SSL or something. And I feel like we got to a point where. Everybody has all those tools. It's built into all of the programs. That's you true. get it for free sometimes. It's just there for everyone. And I feel like that's a great thing because now we're at a point where we can really go crazy. And that's kind of what I was aiming for with Safari is like to answer a question. It has like a sound. It's tailored, you know, to um, the sounds that I like and I hope other people like. But it feels to me more like I don't mean to sound uh, full of myself, but to me, it it feels more like an artist releasing music these days than, you know, like a company trying to create an EQ that works for everyone. So yeah, I feel inspired and I like other people doing that same thing. Like when I open up a plugin and it, it has like a specific taste that somebody put in there, I feel that is much more inspiring and Fun to work with than these like kind of very professional and bland sounding plugins yeah that's just my opinion
0: yeah yeah i think a lot of the a lot of the engineers or mixers that i know that have done a plug it's somehow related to them wanting to do something that fits into their workflow so it's like exactly what you're talking about it's like right. this is very specific to the way that i like to work and it's kind of cool, so I'm gonna share yeah. it with other people. And if they like it, that's cool. If you don't like it, that's cool. Yeah. So I think it is—it's an interesting comparison, the the artist releasing music thing. Because, yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea. Makes me want to make a plugin.
1: <laughs> I feel like as as an engineer, to be honest, up to the point where I released the the plugins, I didn't have this concept in my mind. But once I released it, I kind of felt like an artist because. It was like, I worked on this thing for a bunch of months and nobody kind of knew about it. And then I released it and sort of similar, like to artists releasing their first kind of album, they're always, you know, kind of really keen on releasing it. And then they they usually think that, you know, oh, the world's going to kind of listen to this great album that I've been working on for months now. And usually the reaction is way slower. Yeah. In terms of like exposure and, you know, getting reactions from people and getting plays and stuff. And I I felt the same way. I was like, the plugins
0: are out. (laughs) Just out into the abyss. (laughs) And um, nobody cared. It was like,
1: just like two website views per day for the first (laughs) like week or something. And it it took time. And it, it still is like, you know, a small kind of exposure. But yeah like it was a really interesting experience for me because i swear to god like i looked back at all those like albums that i made with uh with indie musicians releasing their first album and i felt like oh i have a much better understanding of what you went through you know what i mean yeah
0: totally (laughs) totally i feel that way about the podcast sometimes and Mm. yeah when you start putting something out there you start to relate more with these quote clients that you've maybe mixed or mastered for over the years And you start to like feel like what that journey is like. But you know, it's something that I've noticed that you do that maybe this is a little inspired by this parallel to releasing music. You've been consistently putting plugins out like every two or three months. Like you, I feel like you've been moving fast. You keep giving people something new.
1: Every month, every month. It is every month. (laughs) I didn't want
0: to say every month because that that feels a little crazy, but I know it's been fast. Is that partially inspired by the the spotify release you know like you got to keep giving people stuff keeps spreading word
1: yeah yeah you're you're bang on i mean i felt like that was a strategy i wanted to take early on like i didn't know if i could make it that fast but i planned on doing that before i even started releasing the first plugin and i feel like it matches today's kind of pace and um it's a hundred percent inspired by artists and musicians that i respect that release music on a constant basis and i feel like a lot of times you feel that movement from uh, artists or even from podcasts as well like yeah there are a few podcasts that like when you see the amount of of releases you you feel like you want to be part of that kind of
0: wave of things happening so yeah it's fun If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, you know, as you're releasing more and more, I talk about it on the podcast all the time, you're growing with every plugin. What you've learned over the last year, putting out five plugins, you've probably accelerated years of growth that that other people yeah. who have just done like one plug in a year like you just
1: I get what you're saying. I think that like a big part of it also relates to my experience as kind of a, a music facilitator of sorts like like somebody that was around a lot of musicians and was around a lot of creators and you kind of get this sense of like I could spend, you know, another even year on a specific project. Yeah, Or I can release it and kind of see what people reactions are and then kind of try and improve after releasing it. And I think that's that's another amazing thing that plugins have that even like music doesn't have. Just for example, like I released the Fox Echo Chorus and then I got like 20 emails of people saying like, why isn't there a width knob? I wish there was a width knob. And I just, I added a width knob and it's there now. That's awesome. I guess I could have thought about it like earlier, but I feel like as long as you don't do something terrible and release it, it's better to just go with the flow, release something that you feel is right early on and then change it if needed. And, uh, and also kind of, like you said, learn for the next plugin and, and kind of get more. It's also like a a business strategy because I get a better sense of what the customers like and what they don't like. So the Flamingo verb, for example, is my bestseller. So I'm thinking about making another reverb. Yeah. It's a lot of really good insights, I feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You get instant feedback. That's something I always tell artists, like put a couple songs out before you spend all this money and time making a record. Like what if, what if your fans really love it when it's piano like w- when it's broken down and they don't like it when it's heavy like you just you get that feedback when something's out in the world
1: i agree with you so much and i also feel like i don't know i have this whole theory about intuition and how music should be intuition based and what i mean by that is like that's how i used to mix when i was doing a lot of mixing i would try to kind of get to a point where the song as a song, as a whole, sounds pretty good after like 30 minutes of mixing. And then obviously it takes more time to kind of hone on different instruments and like finish the mix, but you're looking at like a broad picture of how the audience would look at it. I try to get that same approach with the plugins because you know how it is. Like it's the same thing with anything like inspired based where like you see a plugin, you click on it, It gives you some sort of reaction, like you like it, you don't like it. The first few seconds, for most people, I think, would probably lead to either buying it or not. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's the same. For sure. With music, like you hear the first few seconds and you kind of, you get attached to it or you want to skip the song.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have definitely demoed a plugin that has just been perfect And just really exciting for the thing that I was like, oh, I'm going to try this plugin and then probably never used it again, but bought it immediately because like, it gave me everything I wanted in that first 10 seconds for that moment, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with you. This kind of parallels something I wanted to ask you about. I was talking to a friend of mine and we were just talking about plugins or hardware or gear or whatever. Right. He said something which I never really, you know, put together. He was like, the audio industry is very different from the music industry. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, like, because as an engineer, you think about like, plugins are my tools that I make music with, but you never really like separate audio products from the use of those products. How have you kind of walked that line of what works in the audio industry versus what works in the music industry? You know what I mean? Are there parallels? Are they different? What do you think?
1: I mean, I think that There are a few differences and there are a few similarities. I feel the biggest difference is the audio industry, in my opinion, is a much more technical industry in the sense that like it's tech oriented. So there's a lot of innovation and changes and things that are happening quicker. Yeah. And I feel like the music industry is more like intellectual property when you like strip it down. Okay. So It's more old school and has a lot of rules that never changed, like (laughs) mechanical rights. You know what I mean? It's it's like these things that just exists and everybody accepts them because it's just what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's like the biggest difference that I feel. But then I also feel like there is a middle ground and that middle ground is sort of something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the fact that so many people are doing so many things combined so mm-hmm. for example i used to be a mastering engineer now i'm working as a, like a company owner you know there's like a vlogger who does mixing and he also produces and he also writes a song and there's like a mixture that is much more mixed than what it used to be cuz when i was starting out you know a producer was a producer he wouldn't usually record the band he would produce it yeah. and then there's like different tasks and it was very very separated and these days it's so mixed up that um there are pros and cons to it but I just feel like it's a new world <laughs> where the rules don't really apply anymore yeah that is true yeah I, I feel like another fascinating thing is in this new world there are things that are staying from the old one and they're like totally new concepts and seeing them like merge together, I feel like is uh, super interesting. I don't know.
0: You're totally right. Like everything, there's so many people that are making technical things that are also like creatives. There's people that are writing or whatever. There's so much intermingling. There feels like so many things you have to do Yeah. for people that are just coming to music and they're just starting their, their music journey. Do you think the fact that everything is so intermingled now is like kind of empowering to those people? Or do you think it's a little daunting because you feel like, oh shit, I have to produce my own record and record it and mix it and master my record. I have to make my own artwork. Or is it like exciting because you get to do it all? I don't really have an opinion. I'm just curious what you think.
1: (laughs) I have to be honest. I feel like it's more daunting. And I'll tell you why. I feel like there used to be a few types of people that these days kind of in a sad way, don't really get to do their craft. Yeah. And uh, what I mean by that is like, I feel like if you're starting out right now, like you said, you have to know all these things. Like you could be a songwriter, that's cool, but but you need to know how to record at least in a basic level of, uh, you know, recording at home. Yeah. And you probably need to know a bunch of other things as well. And I feel like there are lost arts in this kind of, blend of things and one of them in my opinion is mixing to be honest like I feel like old styles of mixing where you know you get like a song a day and you really kind of just do that is I won't say gone it's not gone it's still there but it's like it's not happening so frequently as it used to be yeah and uh, I feel like these days even if a producer goes to a mixing engineer it's a different approach where like it used to be like, hey, this is the production, you know, keep going from there. Like, I'm not done yet. And <laughs> I feel like nowadays it's more about like, hey, I'm done. Like in terms of mixing as well, like I blended everything in. It sounds the way I want it. Please don't change it and maybe make it like 5% better. Yeah, You know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's a different
0: craft. Oh, it's so different. I agree with that completely. I don't want to demean my own career path, but if you're mixing (laughs) great productions, it's almost like STEM mastering. I mean, you're just looking to fix some problems and bring some clarity because it already sounds fucking great. Yeah. Like, so what are you doing? You're, the only thing you can do is give that extra five or 10% and then you pass it on to the master engineer that adds that other two or 3% on top of that. I think that's the tier of client that eventually you end up working with those people. I think early on in your career, you're going to find that as a mixer, you can be way more heavy-handed because everybody involved in the process, they're making their first record and they're all exploring what they want. Nobody really knows. I think that's a bit more carte blanche, I guess, is an acceptable term to use there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying because I'm looking back at my career and I'm thinking maybe, maybe I felt that way towards the end of my mixing career because (laughs) I was doing great productions and great, you know, musicians. That's a good point. But
0: to go back to the initial question, I don't think it's like a lost art. I think when people step into this industry and they're overwhelmed by the number of things that they have to learn or start doing, I think it's more of a loss of, like, expertise. Mm. You know, like when you and I started maybe like I could focus on just being an engineer. I didn't have to worry about these other things. If I were to leave school now and start now, I don't think I'd be able to focus on just the one thing. There'd be too many things that I need to do to really reach the point that I reached in like 10 years. It might take 20, 25 years to learn all those things. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of, that sucks for people because they can't focus on the thing.
1: I totally agree with what you're saying. And I also think that there's another aspect to it where like when you're starting out, you don't really know to differentiate differentiate (laughs) between people telling you like what's right and what's wrong. And like in that sense, I was really lucky because I was working in a big studio early on. So I kind of, I only had like two or three opinions. It was like the studio manager the the (laughs) studio owner and and the two engineers you know what i mean yeah yeah that was it yeah i feel like nowadays when you finish school or whatever you you start working you go on youtube and there's so many different like approaches opinions things to read about and you don't really know you know what's right and what's wrong yeah i feel like i'm kind of experiencing that As a side thing, where I'm learning how to edit video Mm. just for Safari pedals, and I'm I'm trying to get a grasp of it, but like there's too much information. It's like I don't know who to trust, and there's like this guy who's saying one thing, and then the other guy is saying the opposite, and I kind of feel like that's probably how people are experiencing, you know, starting their careers in in music or in audio because it's saturated with opinions.
0: Yeah. Well, I think most cases i don't think that there are too many rules that have to be followed there's definitely rules that need to be followed but if you're talking about like creative distortion or something like that i understand there being ten thousand opinions on on youtube but yeah it is i've done the same thing i've gone down the rabbit hole of of adobe premiere stuff and color correction or and stuff like that for the podcast and and yeah i guess it's daunting. That's exactly what I'm talking about, man. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> color correction is heavy shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Color correction is is so hard. And like, I was sure it was easy. Like when I started, I was like, oh yeah, I, I can do this color correction thing. That's
0: did you think it was like EQ? Were you like, this is just like EQ? <laughs> That's how I thought about it.
1: Exactly. I felt like I got this. You know what I mean? And then it's kind of similar, like within audio, where like. A lot of times you feel like you sound great and then you listen to a reference and you're like, actually, it sounds terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way with uh, color correction. Like, I feel like I'm doing great. And then I look at like a different video and I'm like, oh, no, this is so bad. (laughs) It's, It's
0: hilarious. Well, but then you get on the rabbit hole of like, oh, is it the camera? Should I get another camera? It's the same way with gear. You're like, oh, that mix is so good. Yeah. Oh, they they used a summing mixer. I should probably get a summing mixer. And then you just like, there you go. You start tumbling down the hill. I
1: know this is going to sound dumb to some people, but I've never experienced that in audio. Like, I don't know, maybe because I started really early. Like, I started as a kid, so I had other people's opinions, like, laid on me. Yeah. But uh, I never felt like this kind of rabbit hole you're expressing where, where it's like, Oh yeah, maybe I need a camera. Maybe I need a new mic. Maybe I need this, maybe I need that. It was always kind of, I don't know, but yeah, now I, f- <laughs> now I feel that way with video cameras and uh, I can totally relate to people experiencing that in audio. Like, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Cause you see. know,
0: the, the people with the widest reach aren't necessarily, you know, the most experienced, not necessarily giving bad information either, but you know, it's tricky when you think about like learning online.
1: No, but that's the thing. Like when you like look at the people kind of creating these vlogs and stuff, a lot of them are great. I like a lot of them, but a lot of them are talking with no experience. They're like, "Here's five compression tips you need to know," and like, "Dude, you're working like on six inch carcases that you just bought. Like you started this whole thing like six months ago. Like yeah, maybe." Maybe don't <laughs> yeah. start with uh, giving other people tips. You know what I mean? Again, I'm not trying to hate anyone, but I just feel like if you're a newbie and you really don't know the difference, like you don't know a difference between like a KRK speaker and a, I don't know, like an ATC pair or whatever, like, or like a Neumann mic and a, I, I don't know. Yeah. You're not in this whole world. You can get really confused.
0: Yeah. And there's things that take a long time, like, I mean, I don't think there's an engineer out here, out there that would say, <laughs> I learned compression in a year right when I started. Like, comp- to, like, understand compression. Exactly. You're talking about years and years and years of experience. It just eat for great engineers. Yeah. For people that have done this for a long time, they will admit, like, oh, yeah, this clicked for me when I was, like, 29. I just happened to make it that far.
1: You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, the compression thing, like I'll never forget the experience of sitting behind uh, an engineer and seeing him like tweaking the compressor and thinking to myself, like, either he's like insane because I I don't hear any difference (laughs) or I'm like brain dead or something because like there is no, like I literally did not hear any difference and it took me a very long time to to actually understand compression. Yeah. Not sure I, I do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was speaking to like i'm going to make an interesting parallel here like we'll just say youtube youtube creators that are like sharing tips or whatever people go because they resonate with that person regardless of their experience level in the same way that they're going to choose a like a safari pedal plug-in over a uh, insert some other brand whatever because there's something about that person or that company that they resonate with which is also like kind of interesting to think about because I think people are just drawn to different things for different reasons and you know from the outside looking in it's easy to be like oh these are bad tips but like some kid is getting something out of that maybe it's you know maybe 20% wrong or something like that yeah anyway just talking about like you know musical taste and choosing what a knob does and, like, making a plug-in. It's weird to think about that when you think about, like, tips or, like, TikTok accounts or some nonsense like that. So it's weird.
1: No, no, I I totally agree. Uh, And I I feel like also you touched on something that I really resonate with, uh, which is you usually relate to things that you think are... How did you phrase it? Like, a lot of times you'll watch something because you you feel it's relatable to you or you feel like you're, like, on the same kind of wave of that person yeah and uh, that makes a lot of sense and again i think the way people these days or like young producers engineers musicians approach this whole world is totally different than how we or me as a bald person (laughs) with kids looks at all these tiktok accounts and stuff and i'm not trying to like I take back you know any kind of negativity because I feel like I just it's not my kind of wave, you know what I mean? It's not it's not something that's made for me. So it makes sense that I don't understand it.
0: Yeah. Well it's like I feel like you would probably agree, like I'm more drawn to like a mix with the masters style video than I am uh like yeah you know, a tips TikTok account. Like I <laughs> I, I think it's because, you know, that generation we learn from people like that. And so, like, when I want to go learn, I want to go to those people again. When I think now, kids are so self-taught, having their iPad in their hand, making beats on GarageBand since they were like six, that like, it's all about their peers for them and who they like. Yeah, not necessarily like they're not their idols or or their inspirations. It's just a different, it's a different mentality. I think it's
1: yeah, that's so true. It's more of a of like a social thing. Than how we look at it, where it's more of like looking up to someone and you know wanting to just learn from. Right, I totally agree. I feel like it's less about learning and it's more about socialization, which also makes sense because there are no like physical places where you hang out anymore. It's like you hang out on TikTok or yeah. Instagram. Or Everybody's something.
0: got a studio in their backyard. Unfortunately, you know. So yeah, you don't yeah. have that same community that you had like 30 years ago, where the only place to make a record was in one of the 10 studios in town. And so that's where everybody met everybody. That's where you learned stuff.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure you you experienced this as well. Like I used to work in one room and then, you know, you open the door to eat lunch and you see a guy that you, I don't know, like met last week. And he's like, you want to hear something cool in the other room? And you, you go to the other room and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, mic the drums that way. That's 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 cool. Totally, I'm gonna try that one time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I used to get off work at Capitol and just stay. <laughs> you know, you're just like, I'm just gonna stay here.
1: Exactly. I, I feel like uh, that's maybe that's a, our equivalent to TikTok.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, staying at the studio till three o'clock in the morning, like. Talking nonsense with like the tech about like, well, how we fix something or like yeah. going through the other rooms, checking out, like, oh, that's how they're EQing this. That's cool. Like looking at the console at the end of the night, be like, what'd they do? Where'd they move the mics? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're lucky that we had access to that though, which is much harder to find these days.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like for you, I mean, with, with, with uh, I mean, I did the same thing, but I'm from Tel Aviv. So. <laughs> i didn't have capital i had the equivalent version of uh the middle east which is not (laughs) as glamorous you know but um still yeah
0: i love walking in my backyard and have a studio in my backyard and like you know i follow plenty of tiktok accounts and i enjoy watching or whatever but i do miss like going into a studio for six days in a row hanging out afterwards chatting with everybody yeah I still like to get out every once in a while and and hit one of those rooms, but maybe I'm just getting old. I also like to sit in my backyard. <laughs> so,
1: no, I mean, hundred percent. I was like talking to a, a friend before we started the podcast on uh, a session I did in like a really nice room with a Neve console that we worked on for like three weeks in a row. Nice, and that just doesn't happen anymore. No, it used to be so fun. Like, you, you finish the session, you go have drinks, da-da-da-da-da, it's like a whole thing, it's like a phase in your life. Yeah. Of, like, a few long weeks, you know?
0: Yeah. You make a record with somebody for a couple weeks, a couple months, like, you're friends with that person forever. Yeah. Because you guys made art together, and I think people, you know, I, I have, like, friends that have made records with, you know, plenty of famous people, and... I still talk to him, you know, years later. And I think like if you're on the outside of the music industry, you're like, you text famous people? And you're like, well, yeah, we're friends. We made a record for like four months. <laughs> like we're we're it's cool. It's fine. But um, yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask you before we go, I wanted to ask you one thing since we're kind of talking about our studio experiences. You and I both have had very stable salary moments of our in our lives where we've, you know. We're making music and we know we're having a fixed income and we we both chose to leave those situations. You at Artlist doing mastering and mm. all the audio stuff. Do you have any advice for people that are maybe like, even if they don't even work in music, maybe they work, I don't know, at a coffee shop, but they feel like they can <laughs> make it full time in music. They're like at that point where they're like, I think I need this money, but I also think I need to go do that. Do you have any advice for people that are like right there at the precipice that are like, I think I want to work for myself?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think two things. The first one is actually part of the reason why I left my day job and uh, decided to start this weird company called Safari. (laughs) I guess the first thing is I kind of got to a realization that it doesn't matter the salary that I would get, like even if it is a very high salary, it still does not compare at all to having an asset. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a really big lesson that I, I wish I learned earlier in my career where like I would always choose having an asset over like fixed payment. And it doesn't matter, like you can make that same mistake as a freelancer as well where you'd be like, no, I, I don't want points on this record. I just want you to pay up front. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what I, what I can tell you, looking back, is those points and all these like different types of assets, they accumulate and uh, they can really be a very big investment in your own life and in your own self. And sometimes you don't see it at the point of time that you're actually making the decision. Yeah. So... After having like a very long time with the salary, I realized it. I was like, I don't see how I can keep this thing going for another like 40 years or I don't know, like 30 years or whatever number of years. And uh, I can't guarantee it, but I can probably guarantee if I can manage to create an asset that continues to create revenue for me in the following years, that seems like a better plan. Yeah. And maybe hopefully things that I can even transfer to my kids,
0: you know? That's awesome.
1: That's one thing. And then the the, the second thing is just like it's gonna sound kind of cliche, but I really believe in like going with your heart. And I feel like if you're honest to yourself and you're like really a hundred percent like trying to be honest with yourself and not <laughs> lying to yourself. Good things happen. It's just like the way I've experienced life, you know, since early on. And yeah. uh, I felt like I wasn't honest with myself anymore as like being an employee. Like I loved working at Artlist till the last day, but I just felt like there was something in me that was really wanting to kind of get out and express myself and do wild plugins. So I felt like I had to go with that and I had to trust my gut feeling and, uh, Yeah. Just do what I love, which is something that a lot of times is like the opposite of what everybody's telling you to do. Like, usually people are telling you like, yeah, don't trust your instincts. Go with whatever is like socially acceptable. Like you have a job, don't quit the job, dude. Yeah. Have a good job. You know what I mean? That's just my two two points.
0: I agree completely. And I I mean, I think you've got to trust your gut. I mean, we we started this podcast. I said there was like a glitch in Riverside. And I was like, every time my gut has said I need to restart Riverside. Yeah. And I haven't. I've had a chunk of my interview missing. <laughs> and I don't know. It, that's something that multiple producers and engineers that I've worked with have said. Like after I've made a mistake, they've been like, what did your gut tell you right before that happened? And I was like, not to do that. And they were like, yeah.
1: Mm.
0: And you're like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, something something of that gut. Something and trust in your instincts. Dude, this has been so much fun. I got to ask you the last two questions before we before we head out. All right. Which I believe you know what they are. But the first one, which maybe we touched on a little bit, is was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you?
1: I feel like I kind of answered that, to be honest, w- with Safari Pedals, because my kind of goal for success early on was I want to work with these like 10 artists that I wish I could. And then... Once I reached that in in my little world, (laughs) I was like, okay, now what? And the next kind of goal change was I want to have a steady income because I'm having kids. I want to have like a day job, which is something that's pretty rare as an engineer. Like, it's not something that you usually experience. And once I got that, after a few years, I felt like I want to create assets, which is kind of the thing that is happening now, so.
0: That's awesome, yeah.
1: Is that a good answer?
0: That's a perfect answer, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I agree with those. And then, um, I know you have a company and you have products in the works, so maybe you can't share everything with us, but what is your current biggest goal and what's the next smallest step you're gonna go to take towards it?
1: Mm. I think my biggest goal is to find a way to kind of get Safari to a point where it feels like I'm on, like a safe island <laughs> where it feels like everything is working and I don't have to push the boat anymore so hard. Right. Because right now, which is obvious, it's it's predictable. Like I knew this and I wasn't expecting anything else, but I, I wake up in the morning and whatever I do or don't do is going to be the outcome of the fire pedals. Like... If I don't answer all the emails and if I don't plan the the next plugin and if I don't do the video, da, 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 then it's not going to happen. And I guess my goal is, my long-term goal is to get to a point where it's an actual company with other people that do other things. <laughs> and uh, I don't have to do everything myself. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, this has been a lot of fun. People should definitely check out the plugins. I've been enjoying them. Please Take a second, share with people whatever you want. This is your little spotlight moment. Um, <laughs> I'm not good with spotlight moments, or maybe just the website. <laughs> yeah,
1: you should check out safaripedals.com and um, try the plugins. I feel like if there's like a message that I'm trying to convey and and push forward is people should go crazy and just be creative and do your thing and. Don't be afraid of um, anything. Just be yourself. Be a studio animal, which is like a line that I made up for Safari Petals. And it's um, great. See you on the other side. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Travis, yeah, I, I really appreciate the podcast. I'm a listener as well. And um, it was great talking to you. And you're an awesome host. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Well, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I don't know if I'm awesome, but uh, we're, we're, we're trying to have a good time here. But yeah, awesome. I look forward to uh, this compressor slipping out into the world. I'm definitely going to check that out. And uh, yeah, man, we'll have to definitely keep in touch. Now that you have a plug-in company, you got to come to Nam in California. We can go get drinks. I would love to meet you, Travis. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen.
1: Amazing.